listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Very important, very important um, subject today. And um, one that really, to be honest with you, has been annoying me. And so it may turn into more of a rant uh, than usual. Not that it's not usually a rant, but today may be even more ranty than we've been uh, in the past couple of weeks. I don't know. We'll find out by the end of this broadcast. And then you be the judge. We'll take a poll and say, how many think Ted ranted today? Uh, But I will probably end up ranting. But... When I say seven reasons that I would leave my church, I mean that. I mean, like, I would be gone. Like, I would be out the door. And, um, and I don't mean after, you know, a, a period of, well, we, did, we took a couple years to feel it out. Like, I would be gone, uh, especially if I'm looking for a new church. You know, if I was looking for a new church, these are things that I'd be immediately looking for. <laughs> Thanks, Brother Jeff. Um, Heather loves Ted rants. Well, you're going to get another one today. Um, let's say for example, I was looking for a new church, uh, had moved to an area looking for a new church. Um, the seven things that I'm going to talk to you about right now, I would be immediately looking for these things in the church or I would not make it my church home. Love you, Dave. So I'm going to break all seven of them down, but not just if I was looking for a church. Well, what if I was in a church uh, and, and I started to see this pattern? I'm gone. I am literally gone. So what about faithfulness? Yes, but you have to be faithful to the word of God. This is what we're faithful to before anything else. We're faithful to the word of God. And so we're not faithful to a building. We're not even faithful to a group of believers a church assembly before we're faithful to the word of God. This is our standard. The word of God's our standard and it should govern how we uh, worship God together. It should be by the parameters set out in God's word that we define uh, how we worship together. So that's why I'm making these points. They're all biblically based. They're all scripturally based. And so if I was either looking for a new church or uh, if I was in a church and uh, had found myself seeing some of these things, I'm going to tell you something. I'd be gone quickly. There's Pastor Stan. Love you, man. Good to see you. Um, So I'm going to break these down for you. And sadly, uh, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, by the way, a lot of this is Bible prophecy. A lot of this is what Paul and Jesus both prophesied would come to pass at the end of time, that you would have uh, the love of many growing cold. You would have apostasy, people leaving the faith, turning away from the faith. We dealt with that a couple of days ago. I talked about it, read you the scriptures from Paul, from Jesus. Um, and and the, the prophecy was that in the last days, people's hearts would grow cold and they would become lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Uh, And and I I listed all the things that Paul wrote to Timothy. But uh, as a result of them growing cold, as a result 
of them falling away, you'll start to see these seven things showing up in churches and they already have been, and they continue to be that way. Sadly, now we have, uh, you know, woke churches that are being monitored by social media accounts, woke preacher clips, uh, of, of preachers and churches saying insane things, absolutely insane things. And so let me tell you, if I saw it, I'd be out so quick. It would blow people's minds. I'd be, it's like, you remember in old cartoons, like the Roadrunner and all that, when somebody would get like yanked off the screen so fast that their hat would still be spinning and follow them. That's how quickly I would be out of a church like that. And so I want to give you these seven things today, make it a checklist. You know, I have people that write me and they're like, I don't know. What do you think about this? I just started attending a church that, you know, they don't believe in this or they don't do this. What do you think about it? Well, today we're going to define what the Bible says about it. Not what I think about it, what the Bible says about it. So, um, I want to start with what I believe is the most important number one. And you literally don't even have to, uh, necessarily go to the church to discover this one. You might be able to actually discover it on their website in the about us section or the, what we believe section. And, um, and that is this number one, if you're taking notes, put it in the comments, put it in your notes. Number one, uh, the church does not believe that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. And there, sadly, there are churches that don't believe that. They don't believe that this is God's inspired and inerrant word, meaning it was breathed out of the mouth of God. He preserved it and there's no error in it. There's churches that don't believe that. And it's becoming more and more common, especially in what's considered a postmodern society. Postmodernism is really demonic because it claims that there is no objective truth, that everything is subjective based upon that individual's experience. And postmodernism uh, states that each person has their own truth, right? You've ever heard people say that kind of stuff? Well, that's your truth and that's good for you, but that's not my truth. That's postmodernistic verbiage that that's your truth and this is my truth. And it states that there's no objective truth. And so that is directly contradictory to the word of God because the word of God claims to be truth. In fact, the word of God claims in itself to be the word of God inspired by God, meaning breathed out of his own mouth. And of course I've read you these verses of scripture many times, but it never hurts to look at them again. Uh, second Timothy chapter three is one of the most important, uh, texts in all of the new Testament. Uh, the Paul is talking about the word of God by the inspiration of the Holy spirit. Uh, and so this is what Paul writes to Timothy in second Timothy three verses 16 and 17. Get this all scripture is breathed out by God. It's not just talking about new Testament documents, all scripture, old Testament documents, new Testament documents, all of them breathed out by God. Hey, Trent and profitable for teaching reproof correction and training in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So according to the Holy Spirit, this word, which is breathed out of the mouth of God, is sufficient to make a man or woman of God complete in their training and righteousness, equipped for every good work. This is breathed out by God. As I've pointed out many times before, this Greek uh, construction, this Greek phrase or word that's found in 2 Timothy 3.16, this is the only place in the New Testament that this word is found, and that word is theonustos. It means, it's two words together, theos and noustos, and it means breathed by God or God breathed. The scripture is God breathed. It's out of the mouth of God. And so everything in the Bible came out of God's mouth. Now, let's, let's flip over again to 2 Peter. Two, listen, if you don't know these two passages like the back of your hand, you need to know them. You need to write them in the fly leaf of your Bible to never forget them. That the word of God is not man-made. The word of God is God-made. In fact, that'd be something great to put in the comments today. The word of God is not man-made. So important. So important. Because everything we do is based on the mighty word of God. So if it's man-made, that takes all the power out of it. Or if it could have error in it because some man decided to write it, that takes all the power out of it. The word of God is not man-made. Please put that in the comments today. Put it in the file leaf of your Bible. Write these two passages down. Don't ever forget them. They will help you anytime you're hearing these kinds of arguments from postmodern Christians, what we would call air quote Christians. I don't know how you would call yourself a Christian and deny that the Bible is God's inspired word, but that's just me. Um, Second Peter chapter one, and I just want to read you two verses of scripture, though you could read the full passage, uh, verses 20 and 21. So this is second Peter one verses 20 and 21. Listen to what uh, Peter writes, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So get that, between Paul and Peter uh, and their writing, which were both inspired by the Holy Ghost, you know here that first of, first of all, all of the scripture is breathed out of God's mouth. And secondly, none of it came through the will of man. Men were carried along to write what they wrote by the Holy Spirit. And so any church that would deny that the word of God is not inspired or that it is not uh, inerrant, let me tell you something. I would be out so quick, so quick. And when you say, why do you say that? The moment that that goes down the drain, then you lose any standard of scriptural principle or living. The moment that you take away the divine nature, not that you can, but in someone's mind, that you take away the divine nature of the Bible, then why should I have to live by all of its commands? Why should I have to do what it says? It was man-made anyway. You know, those were imperfect men that wrote the Bible anyway. They made their own mistakes. They weren't perfect. 
And that was just their ideas about Jesus or about God. What a stupid way to think. The Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. The moment you take that away in your mind, then it becomes optional. It all becomes optional. Um, uh, uh, recently, and this, I, it's okay to mention his name because this was public in newspapers and Christian magazines. Um, Pastor Andy Stanley uh, in Georgia was pretty much uh, given a slap on the wrist by the Southern Baptist Convention after doing a series in his church called For the Bible Tells Me So, where he basically stated and had to, they, they made him reaffirm his belief in the inspiration of scripture in Christianity Today magazine because of such a ridiculous thing to say as a pastor from the pulpit, especially if you're part of, which was then I guess a little bit more respected than now after all of the recent controversy in the SBC. But, um, you know, to stand in your pulpit and say that the word of God is no longer the final authority in matters of life and morality is an insane position to take. Well, what's the point of Christianity then? How would we, uh, how would we govern our lives then? Because if, if, if it's not by the scripture, then what is the, what is the yardstick? What is the ruler of measurement for the life of a believer if it's not the scripture? So the moment you take that away, we're all kind of free floating in space. Uh, how, how do we determine? How do we determine what we should do and what we shouldn't do? How do we determine what is sin and what's not sin, if not by the word of God? And so you would, you would think that there would be less churches, but more and more churches are taking this position that the word of God is not, uh, the Bible is not God's inspired word or his inerrant word. It was just a book that godly men wrote, which is completely demonic in nature, especially since the Bible claims something extremely different. In fact, Jesus is the, uh, it's not just Paul and Peter that claimed it. Jesus claimed it, that all of the words that were spoken, he said they would all come to pass. Not one jot or one tittle, that King James phrase, speaking of the two marks uh, that you could make in the Hebrew writing, uh, something as small as an iota in the Greek language, the smallest mark. Jesus said all of those things would uh, not fail. They would come to pass perfectly. They would not pass away. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In fact, it's especially important when you recognize that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And John chapter one tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So everything that the father is, Jesus is. It's not that they're the same individual. It's that they are the same in nature. What the word is, God is. God is his word. Jesus is God, just as much as the father is God, or just as much as the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God and Jesus is the word. So the moment that you start to deny that, you are denying that Jesus is the word. You're starting to deny that the Holy Spirit took part in inspiring his word. And let me tell you something, that is a heretical place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. And if I was in a church or saw even on their website, 
that that's what they believed. Let me tell you something. I would be gone so fast that the ushers would even wonder if I was ever in the sanctuary at all. (laughs) I would be gone so quick. I mean, so quick. And I'm telling you, you need to share this broadcast because this stuff needs to be heard in 2022. Needs to be heard. And so uh, this foundational principle, it needs to be in our hearts. Above all else, we honor the word of God. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. No question about it. And so you need to make sure if I'm going to a church, they better believe that. They better believe that. Otherwise, I'm in danger. My children are in danger. My family is in danger of what? Deviating. Deviating from the faith. Because who's going to define what we should and shouldn't do if not the word of God? No reason to follow it if it didn't come from God. You see what I mean? And so number one reason I'd leave a church, if they did not affirm that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant word of almighty God, I'd be gone. Number two, I would leave a church that refused to preach the full gospel or, uh, let me say it a different way that's, that's a little bit more descriptive. Uh, I would leave a church that denied that the full gospel is for today. What do you mean by that? Uh, what I mean by that is, if a church is willing to preach salvation in redemption, but they would deny that God still heals his people, has healing power available to us today, that he's willing to provide for his people, that he's willing to baptize his people in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I'd be gone. I would never find myself attending a a cessationist church, a church that denies that the apostolic gifts are still active in the body of Christ today, a church that denied miracles, signs, and wonders, a church that denied the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, denies prophecy. I would not go to a church that refused to lay hands on the sick because they don't believe that's for today. I'd be gone so fast, so fast. What a slap in the face to Jesus Christ. What a slap in the face to the power of the Holy Ghost. What a slap in the face to inspired scripture. Inspired scripture. That would be such a slap in the face. Um, to, To try to claim that the gifts, the apostolic gifts have somehow ceased. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere in scripture. In fact, I'll I'll give you an interesting uh, point that I've shared on the broadcast before. It's great to hear. There's a school in Texas called Dallas Theological Seminary. I have friends that have gone there, but it is without question a reformed school, a Calvinistic school that is, uh, that holds cessationist beliefs. They obviously do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, healing, miracles, none of that. And um, there was a teacher there who was a professor uh, in Dallas Theological. His name is Dr. Jack Deere. And one day he, ha- he came to this realization that he was making the same mistake in Bible study that he was telling his students that they should never make. And that is the mistake of reading the Bible and studying the texts 
with a presupposed idea of what they mean. So it's like going into the Bible and doing Bible study uh, just to prove what you already believe that the Holy Spirit has ceased in his operation. He said, I realized I was doing that with cessationism. He said, so I made up my mind. I'm going to read through the entire New Testament without any preconceived ideas or notions and see how I come out on the other side of the of the New Testament. And when he came to the other side and finished the book of Revelation, it was his quote that no logical thinking Christian can read through the New Testament and come out the other side a cessationist. And he released a book that you may want to buy entitled Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. That's by Dr. Jack Deere with an E on the end, D-E-E-R-E. Dr. Jack Deere, surprised by the power of the spirit. Now, this is a man that was already a cessationist. This is a man that already was reformed and decided I need to read the Bible without my own goggles on and my own preconceived ideas. And he came to the uh, realization, no, the Holy Spirit has not ceased in his operation. And the New Testament does not teach that anywhere in the New Testament. Anybody that would use the first Corinthians 13 passage to try to claim that that's speaking about the here and now is absolutely uh, atrocious Bible interpretation skills. That's a poor, poor hermeneutic. And so he came to the other side saying, you know what? It is for today. And he changed his whole theology, changed his whole ministry. Everything changed after that. He even changed what he preached on when he went to people's churches. He began to preach on spiritual warfare, which they couldn't even understand why he would choose that topic but it's a great read if you pick up the book, but I'm talking about churches that refuse the full gospel, that Jesus is not just a savior. He's a healer. He's the baptizer in the Holy ghost. He's a provider. He's all of the things that the Bible says that he is. He still is. Jesus didn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy ghost has not changed. God, the father has not changed. They remain the same. And if I was in a church that refused to lay hands on the sick, that refused to allow speaking in tongues, that refused to lay hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that refused to preach the provision of God, all of those things, I'd be gone. In a heartbeat, I'd be gone. In a heartbeat, I'd be gone. Because you are holding back the goodness of God from his children. I mean, I would go as far as to say, It is a form of child abuse because you're abusing the children of God by holding back from them what Christ purchased for them and has promised and through the covenant of his word has given to his children. There are benefits to obeying God's word, benefits that come through obeying God's word. And he outlines what they are in scripture. And it's a form of child abuse. You're abusing God's children. And the ministers that pastor churches are held to a higher standard to whom much is given, much is required. If you are in charge of the sheep, then you're held to a higher standard because God loves his sheep, loves them, loves them. He told Peter, do you love me? I do. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Notice three times, three times in a row. If you love me, take care of my sheep. And it's a form of child abuse. I would be gone in a heartbeat if I found that a church that I was attending 
refuse those things. Or even if I found it before I started attending, I wouldn't even attend. I want to be in a church that preaches the full gospel found in the scripture and doesn't hold anything back. Number three, there are some churches that will preach the full gospel on paper and they believe the, those doctrines, but they won't allow them to actually flow in their churches. So number three, I would leave a church that does not allow the Holy Spirit to freely move. I would not, I would not attend a church like that. I would not attend a church that forbids speaking in tongues. I would not attend a church that doesn't lay hands on people. I would not attend a church that doesn't allow the move or the manifestation of the spirit, like the gifts of the spirit in operation. I wouldn't go to a church where you weren't allowed to give tongues or interpretation of tongues to the body as the Bible teaches. I would not go to a church that uh, despised prophecy or did not allow someone to stand and give a prophetic word. I would not attend a church like that. I would be gone with the quickness because we are commanded not to despise prophecy. We're commanded not to forbid speaking in tongues. We are commanded to allow the Holy Spirit to flow as he wants to flow. Why would I want to go to some dead, dry church where the Holy Ghost can't even move if he wanted to? There's people that have so scheduled their church services that even if the Holy Spirit did break out, too bad, we've got other things on the agenda that we've got to get to uh, so we can get people out on time and get them home for their pot roast or out to a restaurant. It's a it's a, what a waste of time. Why even go to church? Might as well just stay home. Just stay home. You're wasting your time to try to come and rush through what God wants to do in his house. And so if I went to a church where the Holy Spirit was not free to move, if people were condemned or an usher stopped you and told you to stop, or if a pastor corrected you or, uh, for, for, you know, even if the pastor never did, you know, I understand sometimes things are out of place and people have to be corrected. I get that. But if you go to a church, if you've attended a church for five years and there's never been one tongue and interpretation, what's up? If you've been to church for five years and there's never been one word of prophecy given, what's up? If you've been to a church and no one's ever laid hands on anybody, what's up? What's going on that we're denying the gifts and the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I wouldn't attend a church where the Holy Spirit is not free to move. That's number three. Number four, I would leave a church where souls were not being saved. If we could not clearly see evangelism at work in the church, well, that's not the purpose of the church. It absolutely is. It's not just for edifying the believer. It's not just for equipping the saints. The, the, the uh, thrust of the church is also evangelism. That's the whole point. What do you think the saints are being equipped for? What do you think that they're being edified for? What's the purpose of your edification and your equipping? For every good work, the Bible says. And the main good work, the priority of God on the earth is the winning of lost souls. God's number one priority is the souls of men and women, the souls of men and women. You don't become any less important to God after you get saved because, well, now we got you in the boat. Let's go find other people. He still finds you very vital. As I just quoted from Jesus, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He loves his children, but the Bible says he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If I go to a church, they have no heart for evangelism. There's never altar calls given. 
People don't get saved. Nobody new is being added to the church. The people in the church are not evangelizing. I'd be gone. I'd be gone. And you think that, I know if you grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church and you're watching me, you might think, well, that's, you know, he's just kind of making stuff up. I mean, uh, obviously churches give altar calls. No, there are many, many churches today that won't give any altar calls for salvation. Can I tell you as an evangelist, I've preached in multiple churches where the pastor spoke to me afterwards and said, wow, I'm so thankful you did that. You're the first evangelist we've had in that actually gives an altar call for salvation. Evangelists aren't even doing it. Churches aren't doing it. And so it's something that people are just throwing by the wayside. No altar calls, no salvation, no conversion. You know, there's that, you know, what's funny. There's actually uh, churches that do this and, and I'm not even joking. And there are churches that'll do public baptisms, but they, this is, this is true. They will actually have people in the crowd who are planned that when you call for spontaneous baptism, there are people in the crowd that will stand and say, I'm going to go, but they're pre-planned. They stand so that other people will say, oh, others are standing. I'm going to go too. It's just, it's a manipulation tactic to get other people to stand and be spontaneously baptized. They're planted in the crowd to stand and come forward. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual preaching of the gospel that brings conviction to the sinner and then calling them to Christ, calling them to make a decision. Salvation puts you at a decision. Choose this day who you will serve. Who am I going to serve? And so uh, true, the, the true gospel message brings people to a decision. And obviously they had a, a way in the New Testament to determine how many people were getting saved because they kept giving us the numbers. 3,000 were saved, 5,000 were saved, 7,000 were saved, scores were How did they know the numbers if there was no way to count who got saved and to follow up on their lives? See what I mean? And if I went to a church where souls weren't being saved, I'd be gone. What is going on in my church that they don't care about the lost? How have we gotten to the place in my church where, where we don't care at all that our city's going to hell? That we got people that don't know Jesus and we don't, we're not doing a thing about it. No, no altar calls given, not even any evangelistic outreaches. There's churches that don't even have revivals anymore to, to, to give the people in the church something to bring an unsaved a loved one or, or friend to. And so if, if we're not even doing that, no altar calls, no evangelism, no outreaches, no revivals. What, don't tell me you care about the lost. The proof is in the pudding. Where's your action? Where is your action that proves you care about the lost? It's not because you have a church in the town. What do you think? People are going to just miraculously find your church. There's churches that don't even have a website. How would we find your church? You're hidden somewhere in a back corner of a strip mall. You got no website, no signage. Nobody even knows you're in the city. No one knows you're there. And I guarantee you another thing. Sinners aren't sitting at home going, I wonder what powerful services are going on this Sunday morning. Let's check out. Let's do a few web searches in five. They don't care. Sinners are not looking for a great church. Sinners aren't looking for a revival. Sinners aren't looking for a, a, a place to give their life to Christ. You have to go get them. You have to go get them. Go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. That's right. Brother Jeff said, no revivals, but a superhero costume event. Church at the movies. 
freaking ridiculous. It would be a freaking cold day in hell with the devil sucking popsicles before I would have a church at the movies series in my church. We're going to look at, you know, how can we see Jesus in the matrix? What a stupid idea. I mean, like, have you really run out of content to preach from the word of God that you have to dress your church up like a movie theater and give out popcorn to people? It's ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely stupid. Where is the Holy Ghost? Where's the power? Where's the evangelism? Where's the outreach to sinners? Well, that's the way we bring sinners in. Yeah, you bring them in through a, a church at the movies event, and you're going to sit there and watch clips from Home Alone. You know, just, you know, in the same way that Kevin McAllister was left home alone by his parents, many of us have been left alone in our sins and trespasses, amen? And how many know that we need, <laughs> it's like, dude, have you lost the ability to study the Word of God for yourself? Do you need to take secular clips from movies to play for people to have something engaging for them to preach? You know what I found out? If you just preach by the anointing, it's, it's engaging. You don't need a movie to make you relevant. You don't even need a prop to make you relevant. You can be anointed and people, they'll, they'll connect to the anointing because the anointing is a magnetic drawing force. It's the spirit of God that draws men to Jesus. It's not how relevant you are. As Dr. Reinhard Bonnke once said, the late Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, bread is always relevant to a starving man. Woo Write that in the comments. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. And the world is starving. They are dead in trespasses and in their sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They're dead in their trespasses and in their sins. They're starving. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. Amen. Do you honestly think, think about this. Do you honestly think that you're going to have somebody that was in some sort of a, an emergency situation where they got lost in the wilderness or whatever. They haven't eaten for nine days and you, they somehow get rescued and brought in. And now that they haven't eaten, someone's going to provide for them, let's say an MRE that was prepackaged, like a military meal, something that was like, or whatever, or you prepared for them ramen noodles or macaroni and cheese. Do you think that person's going to sit at the table that's been lost for nine days in the wilderness and be like, I would eat that, but I just don't like the presentation. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised at the way you presented that meal to me. I don't think it, I was like, do you think they care? about what plate it's on? Do you think they care if it's on China? Or do you think they care if it's on a paper plate? Do you think they care if it's still in the mac and cheese plastic box or plastic cup that you put in the microwave? You think they care if it's still in that plastic cup? Do you think they're gonna turn their nose up at that food and nourishment because it's not something from, I needed something from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Do you think they care? It's a starving man or woman and they've been rescued. And now that they've been rescued and have been given nourishment, they're going to devour it. They're not going to sit there and look at the plate it's on. They're not going to look at what you gave them. Don't you have any actual silverware? This is kind of a plastic spoon and I usually like to use actual silverware. They don't care. They're going to devour it because they're starving. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. The gospel is always relevant to a dying person. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They're hurting. They're broken. They've been abused. 
They've been shut out. The devil is oppressing them. The devil is killing them, stealing from them, destroying them. You think they're going to care? Well, I don't know. I I was going to listen to this pastor, but his outfit wasn't hip enough. It's like, do you honestly think that matters? Do you honestly think that matters? He didn't actually have any retro Jordans on, so I'm not sure like how much of the word of God he really understands. It's like, are you serious? Do you think your fedora makes you more powerful? Do you think that anything like that matters? It doesn't matter. Jesus never had a suit to wear, nor did he have skinny jeans and a long tee and a fedora to wear. Jesus wore a robe. Do you think it mattered what he had on when somebody was a leper and they needed to be cleansed? Relevancy didn't matter. The power of God is relevant. The power of God is relevant. And if you, are, if you, ha, if you carry the anointing of God, that's what's relevant to people that need a touch from heaven. And if there's no outreach, what am I doing there? What am I doing there? Why am I going to a church that doesn't give a crap about the lost? I'm gone. I'm gone quickly. Number five. Um, one of the things that, I would, that would cause me not to go to a church or because remember this, there are things we don't know. There are things we don't know as human beings. And if I was going to go to a place and the Holy Spirit checked me and said, don't go here. If the Holy Spirit checked me and said, this is not the church for you. He may know something and he does. He always knows something that I don't know. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He always knows things I don't know. So I may get ready to go attend a church and I get a check in by the spirit of God. And he says, don't go to that church. Don't attend it. Don't make it your church home. Well, he may know something that's going on behind the scenes, which he would, that I have no idea about, but he's preserving me or you from future hurt by checking our spirit. That's why it's important to be led by the spirit. Do you know, I'm in the church that I'm in right now. And I was in the previous church that I was in before that only by the leading of the Holy Ghost. Did you know that? When I left Bible school, I had my own plans to begin evangelizing immediately and do my own thing. And I began to fast and pray because I knew that, you know, you don't make life decisions without consulting the Holy Spirit. So I started to fast and pray in February of 2003. What should I do? What's my next move? And the Holy Spirit told me plainly that you're not to do that. You're not to begin traveling immediately and going out and launching into evangelism. In fact, I want you to move to Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I want you to help your uncle as he's planning that church, and I want you to plant yourself there. I was in the church by the leading of the Holy Ghost. That's how I uh, ended up where I ended up, by the leading of the Holy Ghost. And when I left there and came to Florida, it was only by the leading of the Holy Ghost. I had no plans to come here. I had no desire to come here. And then the Holy Ghost spoke. The Holy Ghost spoke. I was on a drive from Pittsburgh to Rochester, New York by myself, praying in tongues, and the Lord spoke right at the beginning of the drive. That's all I had was a leading of the Holy Ghost. And he even told me what church to plant myself in. I'm still planted in it. I didn't come down and get bored and be like, I don't really care for the way they do and find some other church. I'm in it still, faithful, tithing, giving, sowing, spending, I mean like, Blessing, whatever I can do. Why? I'm planted here by the Holy Ghost. He told me where to go. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. You should be led by the Holy Ghost. And one of the things that would cause me to leave is either if the Holy Ghost gave me a word and said, 
it's time for you to move somewhere, then I'd, I'd obey the Holy Ghost. That's how I left the previous instruction, which was the Holy Ghost took me to Virginia. And I stayed on that instruction until I got a new one. I didn't go to Virginia and then, you know, go there for a while and then try a few other church. No, no, no. I stayed on my instruction till I got a new one. And when I got a new one, I followed that instruction and I'm still in it, still in it right now until I get another one. You see what I mean? And so you follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. You follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if I got a word from God, it's time for you to leave. Or if I was getting ready to attend a church and I got a check in my spirit, nope, this is not for you. Do not attend this church. Do not attend this church. I'd be gone. I'd be gone. That's number five. Be spirit led. Number six. Here's another one, but it's on the other side of the spectrum. You ready for this? A sixth thing that would cause me to leave a place is a church that places more value on experiences than they do the word of God. And by that, I mean weird manifestations that are not Holy Ghost manifestations. They're just weird, fleshly, soulish manifestations. Why? You know what I've been asking myself lately? Why are we so enamored with manifestations, quote unquote, that aren't even in the word of God? Why are people more enamored with fleshly, soulish manifestations that we don't even find in God's word than they are what's found in God's word? How come we're not more excited when someone gets filled with the Holy Ghost than we are when someone, you know, quote unquote, you know, has their teeth filled with gold or there's gold dust or there's somehow oil on somebody's hands. You understand what I mean? Why is it we're more excited about that stuff? I smelled something in the auditorium. Did you smell that? I smelled the Rose of Sharon. Did you smell that? It was the Lily of the Valley. Why are people more excited about that than people getting filled with the Holy Ghost? Why are we seeking this stuff more than we are people being saved, filled, healed, delivered? Stuff that's actually in the New Testament. Why are we... That's what we should get excited about. Man, we had three people baptized in the Holy Ghost today, evidence of speaking in other tongues. Man, we had 16 people get saved this morning. Angel feathers, gems appearing. Why are we more excited about that stuff than we are what's actually in the Bible? When did the, when did the apostles get all excited? Did you know what we, we found? Angel, we found angel feathers in the upper room. There were, I, I'm telling you, there were angels there before we ever got, they, they weren't looking for angel feathers. The apostles weren't looking for their teeth to be filled with gold. Their apostles weren't looking for a smell. Did you smell the rose of Sharon? Did you smell the lily of the valley? It was just Sister Sharon. She put on too much perfume that morning. She just doused herself in the rose of Sharon perfume. Why are we more excited about that? And there's churches that have gotten nutty. You know, it's sad to me that you have a spectrum of churches that you've got some churches that refuse any Holy Spirit manifestations. They refuse any gifts of the Spirit, any apostolic gifts, anything. They, they refuse it. And so let's just t- study the Word, preach the Word. The Word should produce results. So you've got one end of the spectrum where there's no Holy Ghost manifestation. And then you've got this other weird end of the spectrum where you've got people that don't want to go by what the Word says. They're just always looking for some kind of weird manifestation every Sunday. And they're not happy unless somebody had supernatural weight loss or, you know, they had gold fillings in their teeth or gold dust or gems or stone, you know, whatever. Angel feathers, smell in the sanctuary. There's a mist. I saw a mist. Did you see the mist? It's like, that's what they're looking for. That's what they want. 
They're more interested in soulish manifestations that aren't even found in the Bible than they are with what the Bible says and getting excited about the manifestations of the spirit listed in the scripture. Paul didn't list a smell when he was talking about the gifts of the spirit. He didn't list gold dust. He didn't list angel feathers. He didn't list gems showing up. He didn't list gold teeth. He didn't list any of those things. He listed prophecy and tongues and interpretation and the gift of faith and the working of miracles and the gifts of healing, discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These are the things Paul listed. Those are the things that the Holy Ghost does to bring help to his people. You know, I always ask myself, what's the point? If there's no redemptive value to a manifestation, then what was the point of it? Because God doesn't do things arbitrarily, randomly, with no purpose, right? I don't care if somebody can call you out in a church service and by the Spirit read your bank card number. I don't care if they can tell you what your bank card number is. The Lord shows me your bank card number is 48417066. I don't care. What's the redemptive context of that manifestation? Did someone get saved? Did someone get healed? Did someone get baptized in the Holy Ghost? Did somebody get delivered? Did somebody get blessed and have provision come into their life? If none of those things are happening, what's the point of the manifestation? Is it to bring glory to the one who's giving you the word so they can look more powerful? Is that the point? I'm not interested. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not interested in manifestations for the sake of manifestations. I'm interested in people receiving help from the Holy Ghost. I'm interested in people being delivered and healed and saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost, empowered and equipped and discipled. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in manifestation for the sake of manifestation. It's foolishness. And if it doesn't have a redemptive context, and by that I mean, it doesn't do something to practically help the believer like the Bible said that it would. Paul said these gifts were given to profit with all. To profit with all. In fact, let me read it to you in uh, the, the ESV so that you can hear his verbiage. Now concerning spiritual gifts, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So number one, he wants you to understand and be informed about the gifts of the spirit. He wants that, right? But notice as you keep on reading, he says, uh, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in or by the Holy Ghost. And notice this, verse four, there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same spirit. Understand what he's saying. Though you might see many different manifestations, it's still the Holy Ghost. And there are varieties of activities, or excuse me, varieties of service, but the same Lord and varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Look at verse seven, very important. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Why? For the common good. Look at that. For the common good. It should bring some sort of a common benefit to the believer. Hallelujah. It should bring some kind of a common good to the believer. So who cares if there's a manifestation? What did it produce? 
What did it produce in me? What did it produce in someone else? What did it produce? Did, again, always look for, are those things coming to pass? Salvation, baptism of the Holy Ghost, healing, deliverance, blessing, right? Addictions are broken. Praise God. That's an actual manifestation of the Holy Ghost. He sets the captive free. He heals the sick, right? And if I went, if I was at a church that I could tell they value manifestations more than the word of God, because they're seeking manifestations, not even listed in the word of God. If they were so important, why didn't the apostles seek those manifestations? Why didn't Jesus? Why didn't the early church? Why didn't the church fathers? You understand what I mean? So I'm gone. Finally, uh, the final one is this. If the leadership is in sin, if the leadership is in sin, I'm gone. And you know, you're seeing that happen. And obviously sometimes you don't know that until much later. Uh, and then it comes out, but that's where I said the Holy spirit has to check your heart because the Holy spirit can lead you and give you that knowledge ahead of time. They might, may not tell you everything that's going on with the leader because the Holy spirit gives people a space to repent. He's merciful. God's merciful. And so maybe he's not telling you what's happening, but gives you a a sense. Something's up here. Something's wrong here. Right. And so then, you know, by the Holy spirit, checking your spirit, giving you a, a warning internally, something's not right here. And it truly, to me, it is sad. And I don't mean it's sad, like in a, in a way that I'm dissing them. It is sad for Christians to have to find that out years later or to have to find that out that, well, the place I've been going was fully engulfed by sin behind the scenes. Well, that's been, you know, that stuff's been recently coming out in the news and we've been seeing it. And some of these large churches, people are leaving them in droves, in droves, pastors uh, that were under those leaders are resigning in droves. Well, why? For this very reason, that there wasn't any accountability. Nobody was in check. And so as a result, uh, sin ran rampant through the church. And you could actually see that it was not just something in the leadership, but it went head down and it was, it was all throughout the churches because there was a culture of no accountability. There was a culture to live that way. It's sad when you hear that there are, are mega churches that, you know, after their conferences and after, you know, what, whatever they're doing at the church, uh, they end up having, um, after parties that could not be differentiated from a nightclub, alcohol, you know, everything, secular music, blasting people, dancing to secular music, all, all this, all the stuff you'd, you might as well go to a club. You know, you're, you're already drinking alcohol. You're already, uh, uh, you know, dancing to secular music, blasting secular music. You might, you might as well just go to a nightclub. And it's sad to hear those things, but it's, uh, it's happening as part of Bible prophecy that, of what people would do in the end of time, what even leaders and Christians would do in the end of time. But I can tell you, uh, if I found any of these seven things uh, present in a church that I was currently in, or if I saw uh, it, it in one of the churches I was getting ready to attend, let me tell you something, I'd be gone or I'd never attend in the first place. And it doesn't have to be for me. I'm just talking about for me. It doesn't have to be a combination of any of these seven things. It could be just one of them. 
You say, would you truly leave a church if they were only missing one of those things? Absolutely, I would. I mean, a church could believe that the Bible's God's inspired and errant word and could preach the full gospel and have souls being saved, but they would not allow the spirit of God to move in their church. They would not allow uh, tongues, prophecy, laying on of hands. They'd not allow him. They wouldn't allow any of that. I'd be gone. Even though they've got all the other things in place and intact, that right there is a contradiction of scripture. You're not to forbid speaking in tongues or despise prophecy. You don't quench the Holy Spirit. That is a direct disobedience to the commands we have in scripture. And of course I'd be gone. I don't want to go to a church that quenches the Holy Ghost. What if you had all these other things, but no souls were being saved? I'm gone. What if you had everything else? But, you know, uh, you know, they, they were just always in those uh, odd manifestations. I'm gone. I'm gone. Because one of the things that you have to keep in mind, I want a place where I can even bring unsaved people and trust that they're going to be properly raised up and discipled, which is Jesus' number one desire, right? He said, don't make converts. He said, go and, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. And so that's the key. And you better believe it. I'd be gone. And I know the Lord's been dealing with people because I've been getting messages. I've been getting messages uh, of people like, well, I've been going to this church, but they just started doing this, or they started saying this, or they started, uh, uh, I would actually add probably another one. Any church that I went to that was pushing social justice, gone. I'd be gone before the service came to an end. The moment the pastor stood up from the platform and started pushing social justice, I am gone. I have no desire to go to a church that's full of SJWs, social justice warriors. It's woke Christianity. I'm not going to a church that's hanging a rainbow flag on the door. I'm not going to a church that's pushing cultural agendas that are anti-Christ in nature. I'm not going because they don't have enough. There was a very famous pastor's wife recently on an interview that said, I, I just, I just can't bring myself to rejoice with those that are rejoicing over Roe v. Wade being overturned. I, I, and I'm still, I'm weeping with those who weep. I can't find a way to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's because you have a problem. You have a problem internally. You have a problem in your own spirit that you can't find the, the benefit. I think people are rejoicing too much. Oh, do you really? You think people are rejoicing too much about that? It's because you're ignorant and shouldn't be in the ministry with that kind of a mindset. You can't see the joy of, and of course, as we know, very little is gonna change in the states that still wanna have abortions because it's, all that means is that it just was turned over to states to, to make, their own, uh, you know, make their own choices regarding it. But you can't find a way to be joyful about the fact that it's now not a nationwide thing that has to be allowed, that it is, it is gonna put some roadblocks in place that people will have to travel to other states if they want that to happen. And the reason that you don't have joy about it and can't rejoice about it is because you've been taken in by an antichrist spirit and agenda in these last days and have had your mind warped. And you're not fit for ministry if that's the way you believe. I would not attend a church like that, online or otherwise. I'd be gone quick. I love you, Pastor Vicky. Very much. I'd be gone quick. So I'll add an addendum to this. If I went to a church that was preaching woke doctrine, social justice warriors, pushing cultural agendas from the platform, people got mad at me because I, I stood against it over the last two years. I did broadcasts against it. 
You ain't going to see me posting a black square on my Instagram timeline to get some kind of points from who knows who on social media. If I did post any square, it would be a red square representing the blood of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be some black square. And it doesn't mean I'm not for black people, but you can't, you cannot. I mean, this is where people, this is where people totally get messed up. You cannot point these things out logically. There's no logical thinker can look at these movements and think, yeah, that's the way to go. If you're a Christian, that's the way to go. People don't even realize they are using racism. White people don't even realize they are being racist to suggest these things to the African-American culture. And now people that have a brain are actually standing up and pushing back. I'm seeing African-American men and women on social media that are standing back against that and saying, stop calling me oppressed. I'm not oppressed. I am actually free, intelligent, and resourceful, and I have, a, I have ability to do what anybody else does. Stop calling me oppressed. Stop saying I am what I'm not. They're standing up for themselves. Good. Because let me tell you something. If you're in Christ, the Bible says there's no Jew, nor is there Greek. There's no Jew or Gentile. There is not male or female. It's just you're either under the blood or you're not under the blood. You're, other, you're under the blood. You either have the Holy Ghost or you don't have the Holy Ghost. Stop focusing on the natural realm. Stop focusing on what you don't have and focus on what the Bible says you do have, which is every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And so you're not going to see me pushed by an antichrist agenda. And I'd leave a church that was pushed by one. I'd leave a church that pandered to cultural crap. I would leave it in a heartbeat. Well, you have to understand we have a diverse congregation and, and you either preach the truth and preach that junk out of their mind. It's an antichrist junk that's destroying culture. You preach it out and if people don't like it, they walk, but most people can't allow people to walk because they need them to stay in the pew to give their tithes and offerings because they're in a place they can't afford to be anyway. But it would be a cold day in hell before I would allow uh, what some tither thinks about something that is anti-scripture and me have to uh, change my message to make somebody happy because I'm run around. Might as well put a bull ring in my nose, put a little chain on it and let the biggest tithers in the church lead me to the platform every morning and pat my bum bum and set me on the stool and give me my notes on the pulpit. Here's what you can preach today or else we're taking our tithe to go somewhere else. Take your tithe and go somewhere else. Cause there's not going to be a ring in my nose with a chain on it saying what I can and can't preach from the word of God because you're offended by it. Either grow up spiritually or find a little, uh, a church that's basically a pack and play for kids that they got little babies running around. They're cleaning their spit up, up every Sunday morning cause they can't eat the meat of the word. They need the milk. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. And I'll tell you what, I have no desire and I, I mean, I don't do it as an evangelist and I wouldn't do it as a pastor. Let people uh, run you around about what you can or can't say from the pulpit because they're offended by it. You might be offended. You either need to change your offense and be corrected by what the word of God says, or they will end up leaving. But let me tell you something. If they don't and they leave, it's a blessing to the church when they go. Because when they go, 10 more will come that are hungry for what God has. And guess what? We need your seat. We need your seat. So Christians need to be like this. 
Christians need to be like this. I refuse to be pushed around by this cultural agenda, this antichrist system. I'm not changing what I say or believe because there's people that are, we're living in a cancel culture and an offense culture. You can't cancel me, baby. I'm uncancelable. You can, there's nobody you can take me to. There's, there's nobody you can report my broadcast to. <laughs> Tough. I'll still be preaching. When YouTube and Facebook are long gone, I'll still be preaching. When there is no Twitter or TikTok, I'll still be preaching. Un, the people of God are uncancelable. You can't stop us. The word of God cannot be destroyed, cannot be stopped, cannot be bound. And so people can get mad if they want to, but cancel culture can't cancel the Holy Ghost. You can't cancel the word of God. You can't cancel the church and you can't cancel the people of God. Nice try, but you can't do it. We're uncancelable. We're uncursable. We're unshakable. We're unbreakable. Can't stop us. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Tough luck for the devil. He's got no authority to stop the word of God or to stop the church. You can't stop us. We're unstoppable. We're an unstoppable force. That ought to encourage you. That ought to make you dance right where you're watching this. And I don't care if you're watching in an office complex in a cubicle, you ought to push your wheeled chair back and stand up and do a little jig just because you're happy to know you can't be stopped, you can't be cursed, you can't be canceled. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost on that. The word of God carries the ultimate power and we follow it to the nth degree, and God blesses us for doing what he told us to do. Hallelujah. Whoo, hallelujah. I feel like shouting this morning. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every person watching and listening. And I ask you today that you would put this kind of bold fire in our bellies. Put this kind of bold fire in our spirits. Let the Holy Ghost lead us and guide us. And Lord, don't let us be satisfied with subpar Christianity. Don't let us be satisfied with Christianity that has been, uh, that is now a mixture because it has been uh, tainted with an antichrist agenda, an antichrist spirit, a cultural agenda. We refuse to modify biblical Christianity because there's a group of people that are run by an antichrist spirit that do not like what the word of God says. Let us stand firm on it in Jesus name and never change our trajectory, our direction. We stand on the word of God and we thank you, Lord, that we are able to do what you've called us to do. Hallelujah. Empower us before Jesus comes to accomplish our purpose. We thank you for it. We give you praise for it. Let us stay on fire. No matter who falls away, no matter who grows cold, Lord, we ask you, let us be the remnant that stays on fire before it's too late. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. We give you praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Are you partnered with us? If you're watching, if you're listening, are you partnered with me and Carolyn? If you're not partnered with this ministry, let me encourage you to do so. I don't know what you're able to do on a monthly basis, but step out by faith. Do what you can do to stand with Carolyn and with me as we're preaching the word of God literally around the world now in 180 plus nations on television, through social media, in live crusades. We're doing everything we can do before Jesus comes. Go to miracleword.com forward slash partner or click the partner link in the menu 
and, and look at all we're doing and make a decision. Today, I'm going to stand with Ted and Carolyn. I'm going to stand with them and believe God that this generation will be changed before it's too late. I'm going to believe that, I'm a, that, that this generation will be impacted by this gospel before it's too late. We're seeing people saved everywhere we go, seeing people healed everywhere we go, delivered everywhere we go, people getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, it's the greatest day to be alive there ever was. Jesus is coming soon and we've got a task ahead of us. And when you stand with us in partnership, you become a part of what God's doing through Miracle Word Ministries. Amen. You become an important part. I see uh, Lisa, she stands with us. Her and Dave stand with us. I see many of our partners on today. And we love you and we pray for you. But let me tell you, it's time to take a step that means something. I'm not just going to say I believe it. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And I'm going to stand in these final days with ministries that are preaching the gospel, believing to see souls saved and lives changed. And the Bible says that you play a part and you receive the rewards that we receive as we're preaching it, but you're sending it. You take part in the rewards that you'll receive in not only in heaven, here on the earth here on the earth. There's a harvest coming to people who sow. The Bible's very plain about that. There's a harvest coming that comes to people who sow. That's not something made up by men. That's something Paul taught to the Corinthians and the Galatians. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. You reap what you sow. Trying to change that with some poor hermeneutic does not change what the Bible says, what Paul taught, what they expected, and what the, and what the, uh, the Lord actually wants us to understand regarding his kingdom. And there's a blessing coming to you. Hallelujah. It's our year of divine possession. We're going to have what we've never had, go where we've never gone, do what we've never done. There's people getting ready to get houses. Uh, God, this is your year. You've rented for so long. God will open up the door for you. God will open up the door for you. There's people that are going to have better jobs come available to them. That's God working on your behalf. Raises, bonuses. That's the Lord working on your behalf. Favor comes upon the righteous. Favor is on the obedient. And God determines who rises and who falls. God determines. Psalm 75. Promotion comes from the Lord, not from man. And so I'm believing with you that the best things you've ever seen are going to begin to manifest in the last six months of this year. Our pastor told us, and I believe it and stand, it's already happening for us, that what we sowed and what we did in dedication and diligence in the first six months of this year are going to explode in manifestation in the last six months of this year. And it's what we're seeing. I mean, we're not even out of July and Carolyn and I just had a massive miracle take place for us. Massive. And it's getting ready to get bigger and bigger. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's getting ready to get bigger and bigger for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, you are the blessed of God. You are the blessed of God. And so for those that you said, you know what? I am going to stand with you. Those that are sowing $85 or more this month, we're sending you Brother Hagin's book, How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. And then if you're sowing $250 or more, we're going to include E.W. Kenyon's book, The Blood Covenant. And finally, uh, those that are sowing at $1,000 or more, we're going to send you the Net Study Bible with 60,000 uh, translators notes as well. It's powerful. If you would like to receive any of those things, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. After you've sown your seed, we'll know where to send those to. Uh, again, that's our just way to say thank you. That's our way to say thanks for standing with us. And uh, it's our gift to you as you're sowing. 
I feel the same as GSS trucking. Everything I have is from the Lord and is his. I agree. And I stand in that, in that same confession, uh, in the new covenant, all that I have belongs to God. All that I have belongs to God, not 10% of it. All of it is God's. I'm just a steward of what is his hallelujah. I'm just a steward of what is the Lord's. Amen. Let me say again, before we go, um, listen, we've got this brand new kids one year study, study, uh, guide, which is a, a devotional for one year. This is the most beautiful thing we've ever produced. And, uh, Carolyn wrote this, uh, Tiffany laid it out. Looks amazing. Uh, we want to get these into your hands for your children, maybe your children's church, your homeschool, uh, uh, what do they call those when they all come together? No, the, uh, it's a homeschool co-op. Uh, any of those things? Um, you can get it on our website and you can get bulk pricing. If you want to get 10 more, you know, you can get bulk pricing on the website and we'll send you stickers for the kids and bracelets for the kids as well. And then if you're in another country and you'd like to get it, it's available on Amazon worldwide right now. If you go check it out, strong, smart, and set apart the one year Bible study with Miracle Word Kids. Uh, absolutely amazing. Check out everything we got on the store, brand new shirts for the kids, summer boxes, Victory Tribe shirts, all kinds of things uh, that are available in there. We love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me today. I'll be back with you again in the morning. Cannot wait to see you. I've got something powerful to share with you that may be a little bit controversial, but we're doing it anyway. I love you, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.